0: Hey everyone, welcome back to The Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for faith and life. I'm Tony, and this is episode 86 of the podcast. I get to sit down with the former senior pastor of Moody Church for 36 years, Dr. Erwin Lutzer. Dr. Lutzer is uh, an incredible voice on culture and the church, and we sit down to talk about his new piece of writing, We Will Not Be Silenced. As we end 2020, I believe this is one of those important dialogues that needs to happen in the life of the church about why and how we stand up uh, for Christianity against the culture and how culture versus Christianity has become a series of attacks that we can no longer just stand idly by. It really is a different way of thinking that Dr. Lutzer brings into the dialogue, but I do think it's important for so many of us as we stand in strength and faith. As always, uh, the best compliment you can give us, leave us a rating, a review, share this podcast with a friend, maybe somebody who's never heard it before. It really does so much to help get the word out about what God is doing through the medium. So without any further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Erwin Lutzer. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the podcast. I'm excited to be here with the pastor emeritus of Moody Church, Pastor Lutzer. Pastor, thank you so much for being here today.
1: I'm so glad that I can be with you, Tony, and uh, God bless you and your ministry.
0: Well, thank you. And uh, you've got a brand new book out called We Will Not Be Silenced. And it's all about kind of the tension that exists in the culture and the church. And so I'm kind of curious, um, y- you know, you're, you've You've been in ministry for a number of years. Why is this the right time to put out a book on culture and the church? Because it it feels very pointed.
1: Well, Tony, I realized something about a year or two ago, and that is that the radical left does not believe that America can be fixed. Mm. It has to be destroyed. Its institutions have to be destroyed. And on the rubble of our Judeo-Christian heritage, a new America will arise that will be free of racism, white supremacy, income inequality. And if you resist this utopian vision, you are vilified, you are called names, and uh, you are called a racist and everything else. And that's where we are. And so I felt it was so important that the first chapter, for example, deal with Marxism, hmm. and how cultural Marxism, which is the same as Marxism, except it's to be brought in incrementally, how that underlies what we are seeing in our culture, even the tearing down of monuments, even the things that are happening in terms of what people would like to do to our institutions. That all is a part of it. And while I'm on the topic of Marxism, it's so important to realize that Marx wanted to destroy the family yeah, because he saw it as a unit of oppression. Men were oppressing their wives. Parents were oppressing their children. God is the supreme oppressor. And so he believed that if we remove this oppression, why? Everybody's going to live morally. We're going to live in a very, very happy world. And um, that's the world in which we find ourselves. And what we need to do is to understand, and one other comment, and then I'll go back to your questions. Let's take Black Lives Matter. Do Black Lives Matter? Of course they do. All Black Lives Matter. Of course. Including the ones that are killed oftentimes in gangs and so forth here in Chicago. But, and I don't mean to imply that they are the only ones that are killed, but the point is, the organization that uses that mantra is Marxists, and admits that it is trained in Marxism. And so, what we need to do is to speak to these issues, but hopefully speak well. But just know what is going on, also.
0: So, one of the things that's really interesting is in in the book you talk about how how this has been burdened on your heart, right? I was I was listening to uh, one of your YouTube videos about the topic, and and. I always love to ask people the question, how, how did you hear from God that this is the time for you to go down this work and um and and how do you know it's from God and and not just from your own political stance?
1: Well, interestingly, this book is not political in the sense that I don't endorse a particular candidate or a particular party. It is issue oriented. Mm. But in answer to your specific question, what I see today is that the church is submitting to the culture, and we are being shamed into silence. So if we speak, for example, against Islam, which incidentally is another chapter in the book, how the radical left is teaming up with Islam to destroy America, if we speak about these things, we are vilified, or take the controversial issue of same-sex relationships under the guise of love, the church is submitting to the culture and social justice. There's a right way to speak about it and a wrong way to speak about it. And so I see the church, here's the way I think I want to put it. On the one hand, we want to appear nice. Mm -hmm. We want to appear loving. We don't want to have any stumbling blocks to the gospel. So we're quiet about a lot of issues. On the other hand, we are called to speak to these issues, recognizing that the gospel is the centrifugal force of everything that we do, but we can't simply stand by and see these cultural changes without responding to them.
0: Now, I'm, I'm curious, you, you've done ministry for a number of years. Um, I mean, honestly, longer than I've been alive, right? And and so how how do you see... Submitting to the culture, look in today's world versus when you first started? Because the church hasn't, I mean, the church has struggled with culture since its existence. Um, why does it feel, and it does feel different to me, why does it feel so different now versus three decades ago?
1: I'll answer in one single word it's very different because of technology. Mm. Parents no longer raise their children, not even Christian parents raise their children. The cell phone does. Mm. I point out in the book, in the chapter entitled The Sexualization of Children, that the cell phone in your teenager's hand does more to inform his or her view of the world than an hour of church and an hour of Sunday school. So we're allowing the culture to raise our kids primarily through technology. And what we must do is to recognize that and to, uh, you know, parents have an awesome responsibility here, because the power of technology, it is instantly addictive. Yeah. And even the rage that we see today, how if you take a particular stand, you are vilified. The internet is being used for that. I know that the internet is being used for good, but Tony, I think on balance, it is being used for the devil. It is mm. almost as if the devil says, this is my territory, and I stand here. Now, we use technology as a church. You use technology. We all understand that, but its it has to be bought out of a culture that is really awash with pornography and wrong views about a lot of different things. So yes, things are very, very different than when I began ministry 40 years ago, when you were born.
0: <laughs> uh, now, Pastor, I'm curious because I, I like to get super practical. Um, do, do you have grandkids? I do. So h- how do you, um, as as their as their grandfather and as uh, the patriarch of your family, how how are you and your kids? managing this? Cause I, I know i so I've got three kids. I got a 15 year old, um, a 10 year old and an eight year old and they're doing virtual school now. And so they're, I mean, they are literally in front of a screen uh, oftentimes for six, seven hours a day. Um, and it, it feels almost uncontrollable. And I, I often feel caught in the tension. How do you guys manage it in your family?
1: Well, we have, uh, three daughters, they're married, thankfully, to Christian men, so our grandchildren are being raised in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. But since you raised the topic, and I believe in honesty, Rebecca and I are very concerned because we've noticed that some of them are being uh, shielded from these things, but not entirely so, others less so. And I really don't know what the answer is. Now, All of their parents say, you know, we have controls on their cell phones and on their computers, but Tony, you know that these controls mean very, very little to a child. So ultimately, what we have to do is to pray for our grandchildren like I prayed for mine today, Mm. that God might capture their hearts, because if he doesn't have their hearts, they are going to totally succumb to the culture, to the pressures of the culture. So that is one of the greatest changes I have seen in the last years. Tony, it is often said, just like you did, you know, the church has always had to contend with culture. That's true. But no church in history has had to contend with what we are contending with today since the rise of the internet and the instantly addictive power of technology.
0: Do you think um do, do you think that uh, the church should be uh, I, let me ask this a different way cuz it's the words aren't coming out very well um h- how does the church fight back against technology when it's also being used to 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 reach so many people right like so it's a double edged sword here we're we're reaching more people than we've ever reached before yet we're not really reaching them cuz we're they're they're an audience they're not engaged so how do we how do we live in that tension of like man there's tremendous ministry opportunities here and yet uh and yet it's also a place where so many people go astray
1: Yeah, well, you know, that's the thing that we have to manage, and I have no quick answers for that because the power of technology, as I mentioned, it is being used for good. Mm -hmm. And by the way, you know, those churches, including the Moody Church, which has services online, the experts tell us that one-third of the people will never be back because now they're used to going to church in their pajamas with a cup of coffee in their hand. And uh, they they're used to that, and they're not coming back. A third will come back, and then the others are going to have to make up their minds. So yes, on the one hand, technology has to be used, but on the other hand, we need stricter guidelines. I believe that children need to uh, be um, be under control. In that chapter in my book, by the way, there are resources at the end of the chapter by people who deal with this. For example, there's a woman whose email address I leave there and whose ministry I leave there. It's entitled Counterculture Moms. She does a constant critique of pop culture and warns people About this movie and that program and that program. So, there are resources out there that parents can take advantage of to help them navigate as to what their kids should be seeing and what they should not be seeing. And the lure, the lure of making things attractive when, point of fact, they are very harmful to children.
0: Well, one of the things that you talked uh, about in the book, and you've already mentioned here, is the vilification of uh, Christians, right? And this very, uh, I recently read um, with a mentor of mine, Resident Aliens, this feels very much like that idea that that when cultures, when Christians stand up against culture, that they're going to be vilified and they're really going to stand out. So one of the questions I was really interested to get your thoughts on is, how should the Christians who are listening right now, Fight back? Like, what, what is the Christian way to fight this?
1: Well, first of all, for everyone to some extent, the answer is different. If you're in a position of responsibility, uh, you know, beyond your family, that's mm-hmm. something else that you have to do. And then if you're a parent, you know, you have to fight back in different ways. But here's the point that I want to make we need to be willing to stand up for a biblical view of marriage. We need to stand against false Marxist views of social justice, and we need to be willing to take the heat for this as long as it is done, yes, in love. But here's the danger I see, Tony, and I discuss this in the book, and that is the danger that love is being used as an excuse to submit to the culture. Let's take same-sex marriage, for example. You have evangelicals who are submitting to that under the guise of, shouldn't we have more love and not less? I point out that um, actually the word love in the Bible can be very evil. Mm. When Adam and Eve sinned, they didn't stop loving. They just started to love the wrong things. They became lovers of pleasure, lovers of themselves, lovers of money. So it's not true that wherever you find love, you find God. And so what we need to do is to recognize that we speak the truth, but we speak it with broken hearts. And I point out, it is much better to speak the truth and be thought hateful than to speak lies with compassionate tones.
0: That's really good. Um so l- let me, I love to get practical about this kind of thing. You, you know, you obviously live in the Chicago area and that is uh, full of different beliefs, right? And and I'm sure that you are in relationships with a lot of people who are, d- don't agree with your biblical viewpoint, don't agree with the things that you wrote, don't even agree with the stance on, on just biblical marriage, for example, How are you living in that tension of those relationships? Because obviously we can't just, you know, cut those people out of our lives. There's, I mean, let's be honest, there's just too many of them.
1: Well, I no longer am the pastor of Moody Church. I'm the pastor emeritus and Moody Church has a new pastor, thankfully. His name is Philip Miller, and I think he's going to do a very good job. Mm -hmm. But here's the point that I want to make. How do we relate to them? In the book, I say this we can be welcoming, but not affirming. In other words, we say to the community, everyone is welcome, but that does not mean that we affirm your lifestyle or your beliefs, but the invitation is to everybody. And we need to be able to live with that kind of tension and move on from there. So some people are gonna misunderstand, of course, you know, in today's world, if you don't submit to the LGBTQ culture, you're a hater. But that's the price of following Jesus. Mm. And, you know, Tony, I point out in the book that historically, the church has always been vilified for its beliefs. And it's always been an island of righteousness in a sea of paganism. And, you know, the last chapter is entitled Strength and What Remains. In that chapter, I talk about Jesus speaking to the church in Sardis. The problem with the church in Sardis is it no longer saw the world as its enemy, so it had submitted to the culture. And Jesus said, strengthen what remains, because later on in the letter, he says, but you still have some people in Sardis, in the church, who walk with me in light, for they are worthy. So, listening today to this podcast, there are many people in churches that seem to have submitted to the culture, but there's also many strong Christians who are saying that we want to be among those who are not submitting to the culture, and um, we have to take the heat. And you look at martyrdom, you look at all of the history of the church, it has been full of heroes who refused to be quiet instead of being shamed into silence.
0: So I, I recently recorded a, a podcast with a gentleman by the name of uh, Jason Jimenez, and he wrote a book called Challenging Conversations. And it's it, it parallels your book very well. And one of the things he talked about was this idea of um, advocating for the other side, because when we live with Christ, we, we get a fullness of life that we can only get through Christ. And I I love that idea about advocating for the truth. Um, how are some of the ways that in the community that you live in specifically with maybe your, your non-Christian friends or some of your, uh, your, your marginalized Christians, new Christians, how are you advocating to bring them into this kind of countercultural uh, reality as opposed to, to what we see on the media?
1: Tony, one of the things I wish I had done more, and of course you can't do it now at all because of Corona, really the way to persuade and to interact is personally. Mm. People don't listen to preachers anymore unless they know in advance that they agree with them. Amen. Amen. You have that experience. (laughs) I do, all the time. I have to throw this in because you're a pastor. I don't know who in the world you are, but you're a pastor. Yeah. When I taught preaching up at Trinity Cemetery Seminary, <laughs> I actually I actually took students to a cemetery and told them to preach to the dead. Oh wow. Because the Bible says that the unsaved are dead in their trespasses and sins. So I told them, you'd better preach to the dead to get used to it because you might become a pastor someday.
0: and that's even gotten worse with (laughs) right
1: and so so now you know you preach to the dead but what does god do and then i take them to ezekiel he was to preach to dry bones every Mm -hmm. pastor's had that experience but while he is preaching god put flesh on the bones yeah while he was preaching god gave the bones life and then after 15 minutes of this exposition, we get on our knees and commit ourselves to total, unrelenting dependence on God for the proclamation of the gospel. Because, Tony, mm-hmm. when you preach the gospel, you're expecting the dead to rise, the deaf to hear, and the blind to see. Amen. How many of those miracles can you do? Thank you very
0: much. Zero. Absolutely Zero. Zero.
1: Zero. So that's why we need such dependence on God and the proclamation of the gospel. Now, that's a an aside. Yeah. That's not in this book. It's in my autobiography, that story. And uh, by the way, I thought I'd throw this in. You seem to be such a nice, accepting guy. My autobiography is entitled, He Will Be the Preacher. Oh, I love it. Because when I was a baby sleeping in a crib. The pastor and his wife came over, and before she left, she said to my mother in German, "He will be the preacher." I don't know how she knew that. It may have been a random remark. But
0: now you grew up at a farmhouse in Canada, right?
1: Yeah. Thank you for knowing that. Yeah.
0: And why were they speaking German? That—that that was really the. Is—is—is <laughs> is, is that a German influence there?
1: Oh, my parents were Germans, but they were born in the Ukraine, in Russia.
2: Oh, wow.
0: So
1: they came over independently, not knowing each other. They met in a small church. My father asked if he could walk my mother home. She, walked, uh, she li- lived a half mile from the church. On the way, Tony, he asked whether or not she would marry him. And she said she'd have to think about it. But within two and a half weeks, they were married. Oh, wow. They were married for 77 years. My father died at 106, my mother at 103. Holy smokes. I I always say my parents lived so long that I'm sure until my father died all of their friends in heaven thought that they just didn't make it. <laughs> They're the losers, but I can assure you the Lutzers made it. They were very godly.
0: Uh how did you end up in how did you end up at Moody?
1: Oh, Tony, now we are off the subject. I, 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 I'll pr-
0: I promise I'll bring us back before we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, Very I'm to hear more of your story.
1: Oh, okay. That's a whole chapter in the book that God wants you to read, okay? He but here's the thing. point, <laughs> here's <something, laughs> Tony, okay? I'm glad you have a sense of humor. I love it. I'm the pastor of a small Baptist church here in Chicago. Okay. And I resigned to teach full-time at Moody Bible Institute. Mm. My last Sunday is March, end of March, nineteen seventy-seven. We wake up the next Sunday without a church to go to. I wanted to go to a different church, but my wife said, "Let's go to a Moody Church." Now you have to understand that whenever I hear the voice of Rebecca, whenever I hear the voice of God, it sounds an awful lot like Rebecca. Amen. So we went to Moody Church because I had come to know Weersby. There's no parking. I drop her and the kids off. Here's this long line of cards, but a guy ahead of me gets in his car and drives off, and I back in. I go into the lobby. I see Wiersbe leaving with his coat on. He doesn't see me. I see him, and I said, Wiersbe, where are you going? It's 10 minutes before the morning service. He said, Erwin Lutzer, I'm sick. I'm on my way home. I want you to preach for me this morning. Stop so it. We ever attended a service at Moody Church I preached at Moody Church, and that was one of the links that God put together, whereby eventually I became the pastor.
0: Uh, What's it like? um, Because I imagine that this book, uh, We Will Not Be Silenced, is built out of doing ministry in a church that's kind of in the midst of a cultural—I mean, Chicago has, like, really changed since you've been there, I would imagine. Like, just historically, right? It's changed a lot. What's it like to pastor a church in the middle of um, the, the journey to a post Christian culture?
1: Well, once again, what you have to do is to keep your ear to the ground, but also stay in the word. To me, the gospel is central to everything and everybody needs to hear it. But when we preach against controversial sins, we do so with humility and brokenness. When uh, Massachusetts instituted same-sex marriage, you know, many years ago, 10, 12, I preached two sermons on it. And um, even those who struggled with same-sex attraction told me they may disagree with me, but they appreciated the attitude and heart with which I preached it. If all that we can do is to condemn the culture they will turn away. Mm. So we preach the truth, but we treat, preach the truth in brokenness and in love, and even those who resist the truth are impacted because they see our hearts. So that's about all that I can say. And then there were controversial topics that I did not deal with from the pulpit because it caused too many questions that needed answers. And so sometimes I had seminars on a Saturday for those who were interested in certain issues that were important. But if I had preached on them, it would have raised more questions than answers.
0: So h- how do you, in your daily disciplines, I'm, I'm curious as a, a man of your faith and who's been doing this and on this journey for um, for so long, how do you stay connected to the voice of God on a regular basis? What are your, what are your practices look like?
1: Well, Tony, as we've already indicated, I've been around a lot longer than you have.
0: Okay. Okay, Do you mind if I ask how old you are?
1: No, I'm fine. I'm, I'm 79.
0: Okay. Beautiful. I
1: looked into the mirror the other day and I said, honey, I don't look 79. Do I? She said, no, you don't, but you used to. (laughs) So here's the point. Here's the point, Tony. And I hope that this registers with you. Mm -hmm. I spend a lot less time asking God for things and much more time just worshiping him. Almost every morning, well, every morning, virtually, including this one, before I roll out of bed, I say, God, glorify yourself in my life today at my Mm -hmm. expense. Then this morning... I did get on my face before the Lord, and I quoted a verse that I quote almost every morning. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth, and I quote Scripture to God and tell Him that I'm going to worship Him even though I don't understand His ways. Mm. Have you ever noticed that God doesn't do what we think He should? Amen. And what we need to do is to let Him be God. We're in a very interesting political moment, okay? And I've always believed and taught that God is Lord of the nations. Now, we play a role too because there's a convergence between the human will and and our democracy and who rules, but ultimately God is in charge. And I'm not going to change that just because we're living at a time of political wrangling and disagreement and all those other things. So, I say to your audience that, um, and by the way, I wrote a blog, which you probably didn't read, and um, it's, it's entitled An Admonition to the Church at this Cultural or Political Moment. And what I say there, Tony, is that we have deeply rooted political differences, but if we are believers, we need to emphasize what we agree on and not divide over our political divide mm. i make the astounding statement that god actually saves some democrats and he saves some republicans too and we need to recognize that yeah and so we hold on to our differences but at the same time over thanksgiving over christmas Let's not tell our relatives that they voted wrong because in America, people have the right to be Mm. wrong, right? So what we need to do is to exalt Christ above all other things.
0: As we head into the next season, right? And anytime there's change in political power, what is the church's, um, what are some things that, that Christians can do to usher in unity in the nation that we live in, because I, I feel like um, the culture is divisive, and I feel like the the political landscape is divisive, and even the evangelical and um, m- more progressive churches, like I feel like the the di- I feels like the divide is getting bigger and bigger every day. And it when when I look at a lot of my friends who are pastors and we're you know we believe different things it feels like we're getting further and further apart, which just feels so um, in opposition to what God's called us to. How does the individual who's listening to this podcast on their treadmill or on their, you know, on their walk, or maybe they're raking leaves or whatever, how do they, how do they fight for unity in the church and in their community?
1: Once again, I think it comes down to the individual. You meet with these pastors, you discuss your differences they have their point of view, you have, the, have theirs, uh, you have your own point of view, but you agree. Now, to exalt Christ, I had a friend who worked in Jerusalem and tried to get Messianic Jews and Christian Arabs in the same room. But he said when they were in the same room, the agreement was they would not discuss their differences. They would simply worship Jesus together. And the reason is because if you get into the issue issue of who owns the land and, uh, you know, whether or not the Israelis are treating the Palestinians fairly and so forth, you're in a no-win argument. These are arguments in which facts really don't matter that much on either side. Mm. So there are times, I think, where we simply have to avoid those differences and say, look, let's worship Jesus together and, um, and put up with each other.
0: Do you find that most Christians are just avoiding the conversation altogether? I, I, how can we, uh, how can we encourage Christians to go into these difficult spaces?
1: Well, one of the things we could do, Tony, is have them read my new book,
0: <laughs> I, I would I actually I would suggest not reading it by yourself. That would be my suggestion as I've now um skimmed through or read most of the book, I will tell you that the the this is some heavy lifting. That this isn't um this isn't a coffee table book, right? This is a this is a I've got man, I really got to think when you dive into the the sexualization oh, of the children and and critical race theory and like some of these topics are big topics um I think I stole your answer, but like the idea is that that diving into that, besides diving into the book in groups, what are some ways that we can be courageous in the dialogue?
1: You know, I just want to say that the subtitle of the book, it's entitled, We Will Not Be Silenced, Responding Courageously to Our Culture's Assault on Christianity. Remember, the reason I wrote it is because people are being, Christians are being shamed into silence. Mm. When our students, Christian students, go to university, they are probably not talked out of their faith. They are mocked out of their faith. Wow. And so what we need to do is to speak. And here's something that we need to learn as a church. We take the heat. I have a friend who's involved in politics By the way, as of this podcast, he still does not know whether or not he has won the election. He thinks he will because these ballots are being counted for weeks. But uh, he's pro-life. He's a deeply committed Christian and lives up to his principles in Springfield, Illinois. He's in the uh, state capitol. And you should just see how he is vilified
0: and
1: the mockery and the perversion of who he really is. I mean, it is just awful. And I spoke to him two days ago and he said, yes, it hurts, but what else is he going to do? He has to endure it. His kids have to endure it at school. They get mocked because of their father, but that's the kind of heat we have to be willing to take. And we in America think that this idea that we can be Christians and live out our Christian life without any pushback, that's an American idea. It's not been true of the church all throughout church history.
0: So uh, I'm, I'm kind of curious. I'd be, I'm, I'm going to make it a little personal okay. for me. Um, I pastor a United Methodist church here in Ohio, and our denomination okay. is really struggling with cultural issues and how to do that. And they're looking at possibly splitting in the next year or two. Um, When you see denominations going through what our denomination is going through, what are some of the thoughts and and what are some of the things that you think that those leaders need to hear?
1: Well, first of all, I think that sometimes splits are necessary. Hmm. In fact, even the Apostle Paul talks about the fact that there are divisions that have to take place. So there are fault lines in your denomination that are very important. So what you need to do is to be willing to split and take the consequences. I remember talking to a denomination that was uh, on the verge of splitting, and I spoke to a pastor, and I said, what side are you going to go with? And he said, it depends on the one that holds the the retirement fund.
0: (laughs) The good news: the Methodists figured that out first. We well, can't okay. figure out we can't figure out what we believe, but we can figure out that the pension needs to be funded.
1: <laughs> All right, so I, I would think that there should be a coalition of pastors who still believe in the truth, the word of God, and we're willing to take the heat and to you know be nice about it, but you can't. You can't be part of a denomination that is submitted to the culture, especially when there is pressure on you to submit to the culture.
2: Mm.
1: Now, I don't know you, Tony. We've never met before except today. But what you need to do is to stand for truth and take the consequences. And denominations oftentimes are are the thing. Did you know that the Anglican Church in Canada, Tony, and I say this in my book, did a study in which they proved that they will not be in existence in 20 years. Wow. Here's what happened. They so submitted to the culture that they had nothing to say to the culture. Mm. And if your denomination so submits to the culture, it has nothing to say to the culture. So it's going to be swallowed up by the culture and, you know, very little will be lost. So, you know, this is a time for you and some other people to say, uh, to use the words of a new book, we will not be silenced. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, so le- let's talk about um, a year from now, right? A year from now, what is your prayer? What is your hope um, that this book will do in, in the culture?
1: You know... Tony, I don't know that any book certainly mine is not going to sway a whole evangelical movement, but I'm deeply I deeply believe that my book is going to have an impact on individual lives.
2: Hmm.
1: I think it's going to impact families. I think it's going to impact some pastors who are willing to stand against social justice theories which are Marxist You know, as I say in the book, I define biblical social justice and then the kind that is being taught today. One of the reasons I wrote it is so that parents would know why it is that when they send their kids to university, they come back hating America. So, how do we speak to this? So, I think it's going to have a great impact more individually than it is nationally. But uh, I also hope it's going to give parents the courage to stand up for what they believe and to take the consequences and to realize that historically Christians have always had to do that.
0: Pastor, thank you so much for being so incredibly generous with your time today. I still have one more question to ask you, uh, but I know that my listeners are going to want to follow you on the internet or wherever you're posting things. Where's the best place if they want to get more of your, your writing, if they want to pick more copies up of your book or your first book, uh, he will be the preacher, or maybe that's not your first book, but the the book yeah, yeah, yeah. talked about earlier. W- where is the best place for them to to start on this uh, journey to to read more about some of the work that God's called you to?
1: Well, let me talk about this ver- uh, this book first. Of course, it's on Amazon and all. Uh, we will not be silenced, but there are some of your listeners who might want to help us financially, and so they would purchase it from us. They can go to MCM Offer. MCM. That's MCM Offer. Of course, MCM stands for Moody uh, Church Media, but mcmoffer.com, Offer, O-F-F-E-R, but it's all one word. And we'll
0: we'll link to it in the show notes too.
1: Yeah, right. And um, my other books, some of them might be on the Moody Church website, although we're kind of phasing out of that with a new pastor and all. Go to Amazon, type in my name. And you might be surprised at what comes up. I hope it's a good surprise. I've written a book about Nazi Germany, which has won a uh, won a gold medallion award. It's entitled uh, Hitler's Cross. Wow! So there are books like this that I've written. Uh, the Church in Babylon is a book that came out two years ago, and um, you know other kinds of books that I have written throughout the years. So all that is available. Just type my name into Google and you'll find a lot of books that will come up immediately.
0: I love it. Uh, I love it. And I'm so thankful for all your time today. Um, I always love to leave the audience with the the last question that I ask is an an advice question. And so if you could go back um, to the day that you walked into that church for the very first time into Moody Church, and you could pull that young Um, preacher aside before he gives his first message there. What's the one piece of advice that you would give yourself?
1: Looking back over my ministry, I think the one place that I failed was I didn't spend enough time discipling men. Mm. I did some of that, but it was spotty. It was now here we're doing this. Now here we're doing that. I really think that the key to the church is the men if you get the men, you get their wives, you get their children, and so we had men's ministries certainly, but um, I wish I had spent more time directly building into the lives of the men at Moody Church. That's one regret I have.
0: Well, I love that, I, and I think it's, uh, I think it's one of the ways that we can really impact culture, and so, uh, so I want to encourage all my listeners. Um, Find somebody that you can read this book with. Pick a pick up a copy of uh, "We Will Not Be Silenced," and uh, and be sure to dive into what will be a, a challenging and rewarding read. Pastor Lutzer, thank you so much for spending time with us today. I uh, really enjoyed getting to hear more of your story and to dive into some of your writing.
1: Before I close, I want to pray for you, Tony.
0: Okay? Oh, please,
1: Father, I pray that you might give Tony wisdom. Mm. Help him to know where to draw lines. Help him to know how to guide his congregation, to point them to the truth, even though it may cost personally. And I ask that blessing may be upon his ministry. May he have the favor of God and be faithful to the gospel and to your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
0: Amen. What an incredible dialogue with Dr. Lutzer. I just appreciate his steadfastness. He's got such an incredible tone to him. And uh, I really think it's important for us to wrestle with the idea about um, whether or not we're submitting to culture. So my hope is, is that this conversation caused you to think a little bit. You may not always agree with something that a guest says, but it's important for us to listen and see where we can learn. So again, uh, do me a favor, follow Dr. Lutzer anywhere. Uh, on social media. If you want to know more, pick up a copy of his book, We Will Not Be Silenced. And uh, as always, those rating and reviews go so uh, far to help people find the podcast. I'm really excited about what God has in store for 2021. And uh, I thank you all so much for being on this journey. So uh, Merry Christmas, if you're listening to this around Christmas time, and uh, thank you for being a part of the Reclamation community.